Please join me in prayer. Father, we bow before you. Lord, we would humble ourselves right now to say how great you are. Lord, we sing this song where we say, I love you, Lord. And we all know that we don't love you perfectly. But Jesus did. And we're very, 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 very grateful, Lord, for our Lord Jesus, who not only loved you perfectly, but lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law and was the perfect sacrifice for our sins and died and rose again. How glorious is that? How wonderful that is. And Lord, because of what you've done, Lord Jesus, we who have put our faith in you can now have joy and purpose. And Lord, you can help us in overcoming all the crazy distractions of life and, and over all the sinful habits and problems that we choose. Dear Lord, we look to you now and pray that you would help us in learning more about glorifying you because you are the worthy one. Lord, help me and guide in this time. Thank you for each person here. We commit this to you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You might see in your, in your bulletin an outline that does not have a completed title. It's a leading title. And, uh, and I hope that some of you know uh, what the real answer is to that. We'll just uh, fill you in right now if you don't. Uh, a pastor from Minneapolis, Minnesota, author and pastor John Piper, coined the phrase the best when he said, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And uh, I address this Psalm 16 to you, so please turn there if you haven't already to Psalm 16. I address this uh, and um, speak on this passage here today because, like all of us, we get very uh, distracted. I probably mentioned it before in previous messages in my past here. Uh, whatever the dog's name in the movie is, I think the movie's name was Up. looking here and there at every little thing. <laughs> and I say that because that can be my problem in life. I get to looking at all sorts of little things and, and pointing this and pointing that. And in my brain, it, it, it just goes too far. 
and only if I could learn more and more of fixing my eyes on Jesus, fixing my attention and my focus on Jesus. And well, I tell you, I think that's what David is trying to bring about here with Psalm 16. Um, whether it's in regards to like now, Noreen and I are in this stage with grandchildren, and it's the best. We love it. But even beautiful little grandchildren are a distraction if we let it be in the wrong way. Your children can be a distraction in the wrong way if you let it be. Our reputation, all sorts of things. And that's why, uh, you know, pastors are good at reminding us that John Calvin, I think it was John Calvin, said, our hearts are idle factories. And we, we choose that. We allow it. Until we're, we're confronted with the truth of the word of God. To say, stop, don't go there. Turn from that to Jesus. Turn from that to go to the cross. Whatever the situation. A lot of times we think it's just only for really big stuff. No. In whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, what? Give glory to God. Glorify God in your body. Whatever it is. Now, now that I've presented that in a sense, it's like I've not reached that perfection yet. You and I haven't reached it. We, and, and it's like, you know, we can say, oh, we're never going to get there until we get to glory. Don't use that as an excuse. You press on. We, we need to press on. Keep, when, when we sin, you fall, you confess it, get back up and believe on the forgiveness that's in Christ and move ahead in the direction that he has for us. That's to godliness. That's to humility and, and walking with him. So God is most glorified when we are going to read the Bible. How about that? I'm going to just add to what Piper said. And we got all sorts of things we could add. But here we go. Psalm 16. Follow along with me. A miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. 
My flesh also dwells securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of God. I'd like to just walk through these things that I believe are various uh, aspects of how you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, can glorify God. If you're not a believer, you're glorifying yourself or some other thing by your dependence and your trust in in whatever else you're trusting in. Um, There is a God. There is the one true God. And he has revealed himself in God's word so that you and I might come to know him, to be reconciled to him because of our sin. And Jesus Christ is the one who has brought that together and fulfilled it. Praise God for that. This psalm tells us how we can glorify God. So number one, God is most glorified when we are sheltered in his refuge. When we're sheltered in his refuge. David just opens with a prayer. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So how do you find refuge in him? You just kind of think about it and hope that you got the refuge? It's in turning to him. Letter A, you, you take refuge to, in you, O God, You turn to him. You depend on him. You rely on him. That's why we pray. We're relying on God. He starts with preserve me. All the things that went on in David's time. All the challenges. All the threats to his life. Lord preserve me. And you and I can call upon God to preserve us. And the best way, we're going to say this a lot, the best way is you, not, you must be born again. You must be saved. That's how he preserves you. <laughs> but also, Lord, protect me. Lord, provide for me. He is our refuge, and it's because of Jesus we can say that. We can say that. I believe David was saying this literally you know, needing a place of safety from those who were pursuing him. He found a cave and he found refuge from Saul and his army that was chasing after him. In other instances. He also says, um, as a shelter uh, of his refuge, you are my Lord. Okay? What is that? How, I mean... Oh, just a confession of, you're my Lord, you're my God. Well, let's go underneath that to say, let's us call upon and remind ourselves of his attributes, of who he is. If you don't do that, you're going to be found on, on thin ice with the situations that you face. The more that you recall to yourself and to your loved ones the attributes of God and who he is, you'll know that you have a refuge. He said, I said to the Lord, notice that it's in all capitals, 
Yahweh, the I am, the self-existent one. Who else do you know? What else do you know about him that you can call upon him at the very moment stuff happens, surprises happen, notices come out, or you get fired from your job, or what, all sorts of stuff of life. Are you calling upon him? Are you saying, you're my Lord, you're my, uh, the, the next one where he says, you are my Lord is Adonai, master. What do you do with the master? Well, David's submitting to him. He's the one who is unchanging. God does not change. He's immutable. The more that we'll remember that, the better off I'm going to be and you're going to be. He's holy. Absolutely, perfectly holy. He's sovereign. He's faithful. He's righteous. He's all-powerful, all-wise. He's good and gracious and merciful. And like we've sung here this morning, he's the one with steadfast love. He never fails. But how often do I respond or you respond when it's almost as if we're saying, what? God's not there or God's not quite up for this one. That's how you and I respond to life situations. Unless we're calling upon him. We're saying, I, I take refuge in you. You're my Lord. You're my master. I'm turning to you. And then on top of it, in verse 2, what does he say? I have no good besides you. There's all too many times where we do. We respond to a situation where we're saying, I've got some good other than God here. I, can, I think I'll handle it. And see, let's, let's understand this. With the little things that we face, if we keep saying, I'll, I'll handle this. Sure, I'll get by. But if you start practicing in the little things, your dependence on him, your reliance on him, then the bigger things are going to be much more of a, uh, here's the, the momentum of your life now, more and more. And again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about the direction of your life. God's the one you can count on all the time. Let me ask you this. Christian, do you tell him, do you tell the Lord that he is your all in all? Do you tell him that? Well, that's what the Bible says he is. He's our all in all. He's the all-sufficient one. And it's good for you and me to lift up praise to his name because of his being the all-sufficient one. Our all in all. But I don't recall that enough. We, we, we jump to i got to fix this. <laughs> and I know there's situations that you and I are responsible for. Yes, we got to deal with it. <laughs> but underneath, behind it, our responses to life situations is saying, I'm trusting God. You are my Lord. I have no good besides you. So... Take refuge in God is not only to call out and cry out to him in prayer. It's to recall his attributes and his promises. When I, letter C, I didn't mention that, but I have no good beside you. Um, 
when I, when I recall and, and refresh myself with his promises, uh, we're on much more steady ground, more stable ground. So not only uh, are we glorifying God when we find shelter in Him, refuge in Him, number two, um, amazingly, God is most glorified when we are set apart. You know, what? Well, look at verse 3. What does it say? The, uh, uh, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones or the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. But, I would add, here, kind of on, in the contrast here, verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. So, here's the, here's the deal. Throughout Scripture, there's a number of passages that, that talk about... Um, there's only two groups in life. There's the godly and the ungodly. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. There's the, the, the saved and the wicked, the unsaved. Two groups. Oh, it comes to that. Light and darkness. <laughs> okay? God's family or the devil's family. And you can be the nicest person around and you'll still be in the devil's family because you're blinded to the truth. And so this aspect of glorifying God is something that we should cherish. Letter A, among godly company. We're set apart among godly company. Okay? These are the ones, the godly company, which I'm standing in here with a godly company right now. You are sitting here. Not perfect, but trusting the Lord for his help in all that we do. We're supposed to be the ones that best reflect godly traits in our lives. We don't find that out at, at, at uh, whatever bar or, or casino. No, we don't. And through this, through this godly company that I can be a part of, we get a taste or a glimpse of God's presence. Why? Well, God's working through you as a believer. God, hopefully, uh, working through me as a believer. And there's a mutuality, uh, a con connecting together as God's people to lift up praise to Him. What we just did, you know, 20 minutes ago, singing... The joy and the beauty of singing together. That's not even the most important thing. It's living for him. And demonstrating that he's real in your life. And when we come together like that. Wow, what a blessing. What a blessing. And all too often the, the church gets kind of poo-pooed, like, uh, yeah, you know, that church is, you know, we kind of put on the consumer hat, that church is that, uh, you know, we don't like that church, or that church, or oh, this church is really, you know, whatever. All sorts of comments. We're really good commentators on the local church. 
And we've always had the attitude here of saying we need to pray for the gospel-loving churches in Fallon and Churchill County. You've heard that before here too. We want to maintain that. We want to encourage other believers in their local congregations. But this, I need this. I need godly company. You need godly company. We are true believers. We are the body of Christ. You can't go it alone. Dear loved ones online, you can't go it alone. We hope that through God's strength and help and encouragement, you're able to return to in-person worship. But also we're set apart from, away from, bad company, letter B. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. The sorrows of those who run after, and you know what he's talking about, is idols. Any other god. Look, there's no hope in any other god. There's no hope in Muhammad. He's still in the grave. There's no hope in some new age whatever, because they're coming up with new stuff all the time. There's no hope there. There's no security there. Man made it up. You know, and back in the day, the psalmist will write, you know, it's just a piece of wood. But now you carve it, and guess what? Oh, it's a god. Come on. Their sorrows multiply because they're leaning on something that is nothing. This gives us an example of what Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says. If you want to mark it down, Romans 1, 25. Exchanging the truth about God for a what? A lie. They worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. What does Psalm 1 say? Mark down Psalm 1 if you want. What does Psalm 1 say? How blessed is the man. Oh, it's going to be really positive here to start with, right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. That's how Psalm 1 starts. The opening psalm of Psalms. Don't go there. Don't be a part of that. You are called by God and you're separated from that. You should not have any, any uh, uh, things that are persuading you and influencing you. Yes, we're still a part of this world. We're not taken out. Here we are. Yes, you and I should be involved in the lives of the ungodly, of course. But to what extent? How deep are you involved with that? You know, people will argue saying, well, Jesus always spent time with the sinners. Let's finish that statement, okay? He spent time with the sinners for what? To call them to more sin? No, to call them to godliness. To call them to trust in him. <laughs> okay. Psalm 5, verse 11 also, just let me mention this. Psalm 5, verse 11 says, But let all those who put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let them also who love thy name be joyful in thee. 
I sensed that this morning. We were together and singing about, my Jesus, I love thee. I love you, Lord. And the more we can encourage one another in that, the better. Okay, let's move on. Number three, and this might be the highlight here, is to be satisfied in him. We glorify God. Uh, God is most glorified when we are satisfied in him. And it starts in verse, uh, verse 5 through 11 in this section. Letter A, he's our tre- because he's our treasure. He's our treasure. And you would say, where, where are you getting that? Well, notice what he's getting at here. He says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. He's, he's my inheritance. And obviously, this is a connection back to the children of Israel being promised what? They're promised the here, you, we're going into the promised land. And then when they get there finally, you know, there, there had to be a whole generation that died because of their dis- disobedience and sin. But once the people get into the land, guess what? Now the land is distributed and here's the, your inheritance. Here's your inheritance. All that. But David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, conveys a much greater blessing. He's saying, Lord, you, you are my inheritance. And you know what? He's connecting that to, here's the the tribe of Levi who wasn't given any land. Why is that? Well, they're the priestly tribe. The Lord said to the tribe of Levi, I am your inheritance. That's, That's like far, far, far better than that valley or that mountain or that river or whatever piece of land that the other tribes got. So David is really getting at this point that it's not about really the promised land. It's about the true treasure. He, he's redirecting everything in our, in our, uh, as we read this to the great promise maker, the Lord himself. So, that's, that's pointing out that we're satisfied in him when he's our treasure. And this is the, right away, you can, you can start figuring it out. What's my treasure in life? What's my treasure in life right now? And the more we can learn from his word about who he really is and what all he's done, God help me to recognize you as my true treasure. But also, being satisfied in him as our counselor and instructor. Verse 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8, our counselor and instructor. I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand I shall not be shaken I will bless him who has counseled me and listen when God counsels you it's only by way of his word connected to this connected to his word it's got to spring forth from his word his, his authoritative revelation to us 
Okay? It's whatever I have received in counsel, being counseled by the Lord, it must be according to His will revealed in His Word. Otherwise, I get myself on thin ice because it, if it's not, in the word, not springing forth from the Word of God, then I'm like, what am I doing? Am I kind of going off on my own with my idea of what God says or does or wills? So make sure that when we are saying the Lord has counseled me, it's according to his will revealed in his word. And then indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. And in this, uh, we understand that night is not just singular, it's plural in the Hebrew. Night after night. What happens, I know what happens for me. I, I lay down at nighttime, put my head in the pillow, and what happens? I can think about my troubles, my challenges. Oh, and my blessings, they're in there somewhere. I should start with my blessings. But all of us can do that. My troubles pop up in my head, and I think, oh, good grief, what have I done? But who has counseled me? Let's go back to who has counseled me. Who has counseled you? If it's the Lord, then when you lay down, there's going to be, again, a greater tendency for what? I'll trust him. I know he's all-powerful. I know he can handle it. I cannot. So that kind of approach to when we lay our head down on the bed, on the pillow... I'll be more prone to thank him, to trust him, and to commit myself to him for the night's sleep and the next day. Look, our minds, uh, we're talking constantly to ourselves. <laughs> we can talk constantly to ourselves. But the more we treasure Christ and his word, the more likely my response to situations, troubles, or blessings, or whatever, with his truth and wisdom will be, will be good. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, mark that down if you'd like. God, here's God's design for believers to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your service of worship, your spiritual worship. And then, verse 2 Come on, get on board with verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Not by false teachers, but by God's precious word. Renew your mind in the things of God's word. And thus going about then from there to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, perfect, acceptable, and perfect. Okay, got to move on. Let her see. He's our stability. We're satisfied in him as our, as our stabilizer. Verse 8 and 9, again, together. Uh, I've set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I will not be shaken. My flesh will dwell securely even in the face of trouble or death. And again, we don't need to elaborate very much on the fact that this life can be so crazy, busy, crowded, lots of voices, 
and seems near impossible for anyone to not be shaken, for anyone not to be dwelling securely. This is a very familiar verse uh, for ourselves, but also to share with others. Isaiah 26, verse 3. The steadfast of mind you'll keep in what? Perfect peace. Because he trusts in you. Again, Scripture can be so simple and yet so amazingly deep and profound. It's just a, a simple verse. Isaiah 26, 3. You put your trust in God, there's going to be peace when, you, when we truly do that. Also, the, the book of Hebrews shares a little bit of this also. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. He says, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible... Listen... It's impossible for God to lie that we may have strong encouragement. We who have fled for refuge, there's Psalm 16 again, in laying hold of the hope set before us, that's Jesus Christ, which we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast. So that's our stabilizer is Jesus himself. As we spend time in the Word. We see it more and more and more. But David's not done. On top of this, we go to letter D. We're satisfied in him as our joy in life, our contentment. Our contentment. Verse 9 and 10. Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, the grave, or you, let your Holy One see corruption. It's an interesting little flip there now because now David knows something. David knows something. <laughs> He's not talking about himself. He's saying to God, your Holy One will not see corruption. It's like here's this little gem brought in to point us to who? Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ didn't go under corruption. He died and he rose again. <laughs> yes. But he, here, you know it's not the only verse in the Bible on joy, these verses that we've read. Jesus tells us, why worry? Worry won't do any good. You jot down Matthew 6, 24 through 34. I'm not going to go ahead and read it, but I hope you will take time to read it. Worry's not going to do any good. The Apostle Paul, in one of my favorite chapters, and many of you, one of your favorite chapters in Philippians 4, tells Euodia and Syntyche, hey, get along, live in harmony. And then what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say it, rejoice. Now, maybe you've already got this. <laughs> I need to get it again and again and again, and that's this. He does not say rejoice in your circumstances. <sighs> rejoice in the Lord. What did we say at the beginning of the message? Who is the Lord? Rejoice in the Lord. And again, all of us here face tough stuff and challenging things and things we don't figure out. 
Rejoice in the Lord at any situation. And again, this comes across counterintuitive. It's like, good grief, Swenson. Come on. But God tells me and God tells you. <laughs> Why does it hit at these times? I... It might be uh, stuff that you never, never, ever signed up for. And God gives you the strength to rejoice and say, I will learn to be content. I will learn to be content. God is in control. I trust that God is God. He's in control. I don't understand all the... I can't answer all the questions. You can't answer all the questions. But I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to say, you are my Lord. And I know, it, it, hey, it can come across like this is easy to talk about or whatever to you and preach it to you. But uh, come and check out on me later in the week as to how I'm really doing. <laughs> I might be struggling hey, I'm going to confess it, get up and start walking with the Lord in the right direction that he has for me. I will trust him. So I'll be satisfied in him as my stabilizer, as my joy in life. He's my content. He will help me learn contentment through all these things. And then the last one, look at verse 11. He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, we could say that's heaven, and we'd be right. That's heaven. But do you know, if you jot down, maybe it's there in your notes, I don't even know, but Psalm 23 is supposed to be there in your notes. I'm satisfied in him as our good shepherd. Because I know he will show me the path of life here in this pilgrim's progress. He will show me the path of life. If you're a Christian, he will show you the path of life. He is the good shepherd. In his presence, a sheep is going to find greatest joy. Apart from his presence, the sheep will be whining and being attacked by a wolf. In God's presence will be fullness of joy. Sheep. He's our good shepherd. And then at, at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 23. He guides me in the paths. He guides me. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Who prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies? My cup, what? Runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall 
maybe follow me all the days of my life. No. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell, where? In the house of the Lord forever. Do you believe that? Is that something that you can take with when you face stuff in life that you don't like, that you didn't sign up for? You bet it is. Okay. Last one, number four. God is most glorified when we are saved and secured. Simply put, it's, his, it's God's perfect plan. God promises of eternal joy are fulfilled and secured for us in who? Jesus. All the time. Perfectly done. What was David aware of when he wrote Psalm 16? Did he know what he was saying? <laughs> Most likely, he did not know. Nor could he fully explain. But what he wrote at the time, however, he was sure of. <laughs> God's faithful. He took it by faith. And Peter writes about the Old Testament prophets that would inquire of these things. Well, David too. Commentator by the name of Alan Roth wrote this. Preservation from the decaying grave is the idea behind both David's experience and Jesus' experience. David's came through the deliverance of, from death temporarily. Because he's... Where's David? Well, his bones are still in the ground. Or ashes, dust to dust. Right? Whereas Jesus came through a resurrection from the death. <laughs> death posed no threat to David because he enjoyed great fellowship with God. But because of Jesus' resurrection from the grave, we can sing, How great thou art. We can sing, He is risen. We can sing all these songs because of the truth of who he is and the work that he did. David was not without hope. Not without, he was not hopeless in life, but rather had full assurance, confident of the eternal life because of the future resurrection of who? The Messiah, Jesus. My friend, as we close, Christian, God wants you to experience this fullness of joy. If you're not a Christian, God wants you and calls you to put your faith in Jesus Christ and trust in Him. We don't want to dangle... Uh, we don't want to dangle heaven out in front of everyone to say, you need to go to heaven. You should go to heaven. What we want to put before you is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and Him risen from the grave. Heaven will be amazing and wonderful. But if you don't love Jesus now, what makes you think when you get to heaven it's going to be... 
you might not even get to heaven. If that's what's the condition of your heart, and so it's a call for all of us. If you say you're a Christian, the key issue then is let's grow in this love that we're imperfect in. That we don't have it down. Let's grow to trust Him and deal with all the surprises and challenges and difficulties of life that, that come about. And understand that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. Because you know what the pinnacle of God's glory is? Not heaven, but Jesus Himself. The perfect one who came and laid his life down. We close with this little quote from Jonathan Edwards. Spiritual delight in God arises chiefly from his beauty and perfection, not from the blessings he's given to us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Psalm 16. We thank you for David and what he experienced and all and the many things that he uh, was able to write down and these especially the things that the Holy Spirit inspired him to do. Father, we are a people that we need your grace every day. Please help us to be alert to that and welcoming that and remembering to turn from our own natural tendencies that get us into so much trouble. Thank you for your Holy Spirit indwelling us. And thank you, Lord, for the fullness of joy that is in, in founding Jesus alone. In his name we pray. Amen. There'll be a, a couple up front if you'd like to pray and uh, just talk with them. And I uh, hope you can join us tonight for uh, evening service in the Fellowship Hall. And you are dismissed. God bless you. Have a